This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 582 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. I'm giving that hero one star. The thrilling adventures of the chandelier. Enjoy Booster's bagels with the schmear. We're in a green hell. Plus the lightning round. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Monday, January 4th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher. And maybe leave us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. I'm posting a day late due to the holidays. We have four weeks and a lot of comics to cover, so let's get started with two titles from Mark Russell. One Star Squadron number 1 of 6 by Russell, Liebert, and Stewart. You weren't born a hero. You made yourself one through hard work and years of dedication. But not every hero gets the Justice League treatment. The rest of us have to work for a living. That's where Heroes for You comes in. The idea of a superhero-based business is not new. 1989's Hero Hotline featured a mix of obscure heroes available for jobs. The Power Company, 2002, mixed legal and superhero metaphors, Booster Gold and Blue Beetle just kicked off a superhero business in their miniseries. And of course, there's Marvel's Heroes for Hire. But no one but Mark Russell could blend the drudgery of the modern gig economy with heroism. Heroes for You hires minor heroes for jobs such as telemarketing, personalized video appearances, a.k.a. cameo, birthday parties, and security work. The local branch in a strip mall is run by Red Tornado, who wonders what happened to his life. We get a flashback to his jail days. We get a litany of Z-list heroes, Black Condor, G.I. Robot, Hawk and Dove, The Heckler, Super Chief, along with Power Girl. She's disillusioned with being a conventional hero, especially after reading Max Lord's self-help business book. She's now all about the money. There's also a new hero, Minuteman. He has a corrupted version of Our Man's Miracle, which gives him only a minute of superpowers. He's mad he's not getting a lot of leads on the Heroes for You app, and Red Tornado suggests he take some lower-level jobs until he moves up from 1.5 stars. Meanwhile, at a county hospital, a near-brain-dead brute is about to be kicked out to the street when they see the Heroes for You ad. Since he keeps saying, evildoers beware, they figure it's a good fit. They just drop him off at the door, leaving Red Tornado to figure out what to do with him. Red takes him home for the night and does some Googling. Turns out our brute is Gangbuster, a 90s-era hero-slash-vigilante who appeared in the Superman comics. He's a former boxer, hence the mental issues, who fought street-level crime in Metropolis. He freaks out at a framed newspaper article and smashes it. Red's wife, Trya, says he has to go. 
they do go to his last known address, where a woman says she doesn't know him. Later, we see a whole wall of gangbuster mementos and photos in her home. She's likely his wife, but just can't deal with him. So, gangbuster ends up on a cot at Heroes for You. Later, at Corporate HQ, the board is on a Zoom call with Power Girl. Turns out, she's selling out Red Tornado so she can move up the corporate ladder. At times silly, then touching, this is Mark Russell at his best. My Bad number two and number three from Ahoy Comics by Russell Ingman and Krause. We return to this important new superhero universe and thrilling tales of the Chandelier, Russell Lighting-centric Batman, who spends an issue trying to determine why Emperor King sent him a salad shooter. He scours the streets, roughing up goons, eventually finding one in a diner. Unfortunately, he's in his secret identity by this time, making the goon very confused about why a regular guy just starts attacking him. In Chandelier's second story, he gets distracted when he sees that the Accelerator is beating him in the social media game. Even Acid Chimp has 20,000 followers. Finally asking ex-villain Instagram for help. Meanwhile, we learn why Emperor King hates Chandelier so much. He screwed up a date with his attorney. We also get a quick story of Rush Hour, the traffic-based hero, who has an automotive run-in with Manchild. The second continuing story is about Emperor King talking Rush Hour through the various stages of his death trap, which was intended for Accelerator, poison gas, which smells like cheeseburgers, an inferno, a thermos of bees, a water trap, flying robot fists, falling rocks and snakes at the same time, and acid provided by Acid Chimp. Rush Hour manages to survive all this barely. We also learn about his powers, flight, breath blasts, and the strength of two men. Don't miss the ridiculous letter columns. Human Target Book 3 from DC Black Label by King and Smallwood. We kick off the issue with Chance thinking of Ice. He's clearly in love with her. Unfortunately, he awakes to find Guy Gardner at the end of his bed. Ice and Guy were an item at one time, and it's clear Guy thinks they still are. When Chance tells Gardner to get out of his room, Guy replies that all of Green Lantern Sector 2814 is his, including that room. Chance notes that an old client of his told him, if the police aren't working for you, they're not working at all, and shoots Guy. Of course, Guy's ring deflects it. Chance just wanted to get over the social niceties. Chance tells Guy to leave before he gets hurt, and Guy proceeds to power ring the crap out of him. He awakes to see Ice's face. The next day, Ice and Chance go see Booster Gold, but there's Guy again, driving a ring-powered sports car. So I think we can rule out Batman. Guy tells Ice to leave with him, and Chance uses the distraction so that Guy's car is T-boned by a truck. Off to see Booster, he's having a grand opening of his Booster's Bagels store. He and Skeets argue uh, over how to cut the ribbon, with Booster using a laser to terrible results. Ice asides to Chance, well, I think we got this case solved. He had to kill Luthor. Couldn't take the competition from Lex's locks. Turns out Booster does have an alibi. He was in 19th century England getting Keats to write his bagel menu. But with time travel, do alibis work? Ice and Booster chat a while about the old days and then depart. Chance notes that out-of-date water used to poison him might have eluded Lex's scans, which then points back to Booster. 
They find Guy, who has torn apart Chance's car. Ice and Guy have it out, and it's clear that Ice has the upper hand. Guy fixes the car. Chance returns Ice to her home and fights his urges to join her. Of course, Guy returns, breaking back into Chance's hotel room. Chance has an ace in the hole, Hal Jordan, who takes Guy's ring until he can prove he's responsible. Chance then lays Guy out. One punch. The internet is ablaze with debate about how Guy was portrayed, with one faction saying he got a raw deal here. In my honest opinion, this is the guy of the JLI era. He was always a controlling bastard with severe emotional issues. Mm-hmm. Swamp Thing, Green Hell Number 1 from DC Black Label by Lemire, Mankey, and Barron. Jeff Lemire takes his shot at the character. This story takes place in a near future when man-made climate change has destroyed the world. Rising seas have left very little land for humanity, the air and water are polluted, and society has fallen into chaos. A man, Donald, and his daughter are out fishing but find junk in their nets instead. She talks about the strange man at the lighthouse, and he warns her to never mention either of them. They return to their village. Donald hands an old golf club from the junk to George, then asks him to stop filling his daughter's head with stories about the lighthouse. Suddenly, a group of mercenaries arrive, asking for their normal payment. When Donald says it's not the end of the month, they reply, We just let you go on thinking that your little rules still mean something. They then attack Donald, noting that he had his chance to join them. You going to teach your little girl how to stay here and die slowly, or are you going to teach her what it really takes to be a survivor? They also provide exposition. Donald's wife killed herself rather than watch them all slowly drown. All of this is viewed by the natural parliaments. The green is being wiped out by the lack of land. The rot needs the land to survive as well. The red sees the world dying. They agree that mankind needs to be wiped out so that Earth can return to normal and that the green must do it. So, a new entity is created. Later, the village debates about what to do about the mercenaries, split between attack and appeasement. In the end, they choose the former. The mercenaries living on an oil platform are attacked, only to have a new common foe, the Swamp Thing, there to kill them all. Donald, who stayed back from the fight, hears that someone is coming. He tells his daughter to take the boat go north, and not look back. Swamp Thing attacks the village and does some eviscerating. George grabs the daughter and they leave on the boat, but they don't go north. They go to the lighthouse to see an elderly John Constantine. They beg him for help, which he eventually gives, bringing the Alec Holland Swamp Thing back to life. So, it's Swamp Thing v. Swamp Thing. Edgar Allan Poe's Snifter of Death, number three from Ahoy Comics, by Payer Scott, Abood, Geary, Vanderbeek, Bag, Fields, and Ojeda. Edgar Allan Poe's Gore of Frankenstein. We see our hero and his buddy Wolfman collecting body parts from other monsters so he can finally build a kid. Unfortunately, the kid just turns out to be a normal teenager and pretty boring. Annabelle's leech sees a woman with a severe skin condition working with rival doctors who both want to save her, one with electricity, the other with leeches. They are both in love with her, by the way. In the end, the leeches do the trick, and now monster leeches devour her suitors. And then finally, True Tales from the Life of Edgar Allan Poe is a one-pager about Poe receiving a gift, a styrofoam box, 
the first person to ever touch plastic, which happens to contain his own head. Let's wrap things up with the lightning round. Superman 78, 5 of 6 by Venditti, Torres, and Belair. Brainiac has begun extracting Metropolis prior to shrinking it in down for a bottle, but it stopped when Jor-El breaks Superman out of their bottle. He's deposited in Brainiac's ship, and there's a battle with his drones. Cal tries to reason with Brainiac, which of course doesn't work. Brainy is now inside a super drone, and the battle resumes. All of this occurs as Kandor watches from inside the bottle. Luthor is in a balloon during all this. Maybe a callback to Superman 2? We'll learn about his machinations soon. Batman 89, number 4 of 6 by Ham, Quinones, and Ito. This issue formally introduces Drake Winston as Robin. He figured out who Batman is and visits Wayne Manor to get his help. Actually, he wants Bruce to be his sidekick. Also, Two-Face breaks out of the hospital and Selina does some undercover work at GCPD. Justice League Incarnate number two of five by Williamson, Kilver, Bresson, Hotz, Palatier, Ratman, and Hi-Fi. Just a mess of concepts here, which may be the result of too many creative cooks. A world of magicians where John Constantine is an actual cape-wearing hero, a swipe splash page from a classic JLA-JSA cover, God's Fighting, the Bat-Woman Who Laughs, ugh, President Superman in a rom-com with Dr. Multiverse, heroes being thrown across the multiverse. I think this may have been planned for a longer run and now they have to jam it all into five issues. Batman vs. Bigby, a Wolf in Gotham, book four from DC Black Label by Willingham, Level, Leaston, and Lafridge. This is the enemies team up part of the story. Bigby returns to human form after Bruce tries to blow him up. We get a quick backstory about Bigby and Cinderella in a mission to retrieve some artifacts, including a book. Gordon orders that the remaining rare books be moved to a single secure location, which apparently plays into Bookworm's plans. Of course, that's Batman's plan as well, and he and Bigby confront Bookworm in the final panel. And finally, one industry headline, Dark Horse was indeed bought out. Embracer Group, a video game giant in a, br- a buying spree, is the new owner. They're buying them for the IP, of course. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.